For February 25th, 2013, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 243, As They Tear Your Show Apart. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From the center of the cinematic universe tonight, Los Angeles, Hollywood, movie tinsel town, la la, California. Uh, I'm Matt Rather. <laughs> Matt, Matt, panel. Matt, who are Matt? Who are you wearing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing my pajama pants that have golf balls on them. <laughs> And uh, and you, Mark? Who are you wearing? Uh, elite fashion design label J Crew. <laughs> yeah, uh, we uh, we're here for the Oscars tonight. Um, it is late, so forgive us if we are a little loopy. Normally, this podcast is is in the can three hours ago and is published about an hour ago. So. Um, we make no representations as to what you're about to hear. But panel, uh, Oscars tonight in honor of Seth MacFarlane, whose performance is getting mixed reviews. Because <laughs> <laughs> there are so many people who agree on everything, right? Like everybody's, oh man, there's huge consensus these days on stuff, especially stuff tweet about everyone tweets the same thing jeez it's like saying the harlem shake gets mixed reviews but anyway we that's last we'll move on uh propose an unlikely host for the oscars first in the alphabet do not drink because i have been drinking all night i actually watched the oscars at a bar which let me tell you uh gets mixed reviews it's pete fenzel hey how's it going man I'm all right. Thank you. Who are you wearing, Pete? Uh, the polo shirt is Gap, and the sweatpants are Nike. Warm <laughs> 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 in the snowy Boston night. Um, yeah. So to answer the question, I, I really think that uh, we really need to get that younger demographic out there, and I want to embrace what Seth MacFarlane did, crossing genre boundaries and showing competence across different kinds of visual entertainment. So I'm going to go with. Uh, Louis C.K.'s two daughters. <laughs> um, either the ones from real life or the ones from his show, Louis. Probably other actresses pretending to be his ones from real life. Uh, no, I, feel, I really feel like they'd bring to bear the, a kind of you know, comedic sense of you know, being able to entertain people significantly older than themselves while also participating in something that is actually popular. Uh, which is, I think, what uh, what Seth MacFarlane was called on to do uh, to a certain extent. But yeah, and they'd also be riding dune buggies, like a lot of dune buggies. <laughs> Just dune buggy. It would be. It would take place on a giant sand stage, and there would be lots of dune bugging and and wakeboard and sandboarding going on. And in the show, there would be people like fighting with the pugilist stick of uh, you know American gladiators, right? Oh yeah, All- totally, <laughs> totally. That goes without saying. In sumo wrestling, in like the big fake sumo wrestling suits. So wow, we're th- for Oscars tonight on overthinking it. Overthinking it will produce next year's Oscars. You heard it. <laughs> you heard it here first. Uh, Mark Lee, who's going to host? Uh, let's go with William Shatner. You know, we saw him on, on screen uh, uh, a little bit at the beginning. Uh, I enjoyed the crap out of it as a Star Trek fan, um, but I think he brings that right a mixture of. Well, just straight up ability to entertain, but also that rake cynicism at his audience that uh, you really need to pull off uh, entertainment in this day and age. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, you may recall that I think uh, William Shatner has famously told Star Trek fans more or less to quote unquote get a life. He said that Um, on Saturday Night Live, famous famously, right? In a sketch about Trek. Yeah, it was definitely in 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 a Saturday Night Live sketch, but I think that sentiment in the sketch was reflecting of his uh, real life attitudes, um, either expressed privately or publicly. Yeah, he has a certain part of the day that's tech war day, and the rest of it is just his life. <laughs> oh, that is an obscure William Shatner call. <laughs> there were no tech war references in the no Oscars t- tonight. <laughs> no, no, there were not. There wow. were not. I'd love to talk more about the Shatner appearance, but maybe we should get through the question first, and we'll be here forever. Uh, fair enough. The uh, my, my pick, you know, Seth MacFarlane was 
a, a zany choice because he, until this year, had not done movies before, right? He didn't sort of come out of movies and hadn't done them like a lot of other hosts like Steve Martin and Whoopi Goldberg and Billy Crystal famously, you know, had done movies, been movie actors. Not serious dramatic movie actors, but movie actors. I mean, they're no Robin Williams, but they had done some films. Um and uh, he he is not known as a performer. And so he's from the wrong medium. That's the point I want to make about him. He's from the wrong medium. So in order to choose someone who is like him from the wrong medium, I propose that, that uh, Damien Hurst, the English artist, hosts the Oscars. <laughs> uh, <laughs> can you give an example of his work for those of us who are unfamiliar with him? <laughs> Damien Hurst uh, is the person who... Um, exhibited uh, a shark in formaldehyde at, at taxidermy. I'm, I'm looking at his, his art. Yeah, it's like the entire cow sealed in lucite, right? Yeah, and, and like so preservation like, fluid. There's the entire cow. There's another one, and it may be a cow, it may be a different animal, where it's sectioned into, you know, inch-thick slices and uh, exhibited in formaldehyde um, in, you know, what, 70 or 80 little one it inch. It to be a sheep, is, is, uh, or maybe is it a, a horse? It happens in the cell, the Jennifer Lopez movie, so we could make that crossover <laughs> as <right>. well. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, uh, yeah, Damien, uh, Damien Hirst, the bad boy of uh, English art, and I think perhaps the most commercially successful artist. So, they, so he does bridge that whole art-commerce divide that the Oscars, that needle that the Oscars tries to thread, uh, tries so elegantly by having the cast of the event up on stage with, uh, you know, along with what uh, a lot of Emmanuel Riva and Michael Haneke. Of course, the best award show host working today is another guy hosting in, quote, not quite as much of the wrong medium, but definitely not his primary medium, which is Neil Patrick Harris hosting the Tonys, probably, right? Right. Uh, you know, they're primarily known as a television star, but of course, quite a legitimate theatrical star as well. But goes in there and just tears up the Tonys and nobody would think twice about him being Doogie Howser or Barney from How I Met Your Mother. What do you think of Daniel Radcliffe as actually a serious proposal for an Oscar host, right? Because he does the whole song and dance band thing and he also was in some movies. Uh, I'm worried about him carrying it all by himself. Sure. Uh, I think that if he if he did it as sort of an ensemble thing where he kept bringing on more guests, like and people would do bits with him, I feel like because he's more of a straight man, I guess. I mean, McFarlane, I guess, is also kind of a straight man, but Daniel Radcliffe even more so. And you see, he needs to be with people who are kind of more out there than he is. I think he was at pains to prove that he was a straight man uh, at, with his little throwaway after conducting the Los Angeles Gay Men's Chorus that he was not, in fact, a member of the Los Angeles Gay Men's Chorus. <laughs> Guys, this is a joke at the expense of gay people. I am not one of them. That was pretty great when they said that Seth MacFarlane was going to be a member in 2015, though. I really appreciate it. Because it definitely threatened him to an extent, and that was kind of enjoyable to watch. Um, to watch him suffer. Well, suffer. I guess, I mean, let's, let's start with him. What's your assessment of his, uh, you know, of his performance? I mean, I think he did great. Yeah. I think he did a great job. I, I think that it was fun, and I don't know how much of a hand he had in writing the material. Probably a lot, I would wager. Uh, right, like working on a lot of the material he worked on. Uh, the thing about the thing about hosting the Oscars now, which we've seen for a couple years going, is that it has become an almost impossible task to do straight. Right. Talked about straight, but in this, I mean straight in another way. Uh, to the Oscars is a huge contradiction where they're trying to make the award show current, but the members of the Academy uh, and a lot of the people who are watching it on network TV are of the older generation, and as such, it is hard to keep everybody pleased at the same time. So this has forced the Academy, or has prompted producers at times to pick choices for hosts and for programming the award show that tear apart the fabric of the show. Like you had James Franco and Anne Hathaway. As they tear your show apart. <laughs> As they get drunk and hide and halfway through the program. Uh, we've learned enough about James Franco. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, but they did, and then they did Billy Crystal, right? And, it's, and neither one worked uh, because they were sort of playing, they were playing not to lose. They weren't playing to win. Sure. And they were trying to cover up or bridge the gap 
between the old audience and the new audience, between the purpose of the award show and the purpose of the Academy itself. And I think what Seth MacFarlane did is he threw in the towel on that. He didn't even try to do both at the same time. He just They just totally separated those parts of the show. It was totally a bimodal show where half the show was, was Seth MacFarlane doing his usual stuff or, you know, very tame version of his usual stuff. And half is like the oldest school, old school Oscars show ever, right? Like you have freaking Barbara Streisand singing memories during right. the montage. Like, like th- it was like, and this is what I wanted to say about the Shatner appearance. And I'll, I'll see the floor to Mark in a moment to give his initial impression. But I really wanted to say this about the Shatner appearance. When I was watching the show, I was thinking they're planning it. I was thinking about Time Bandits. Have you guys, you guys have uh, seen or familiar with Time Bandits? Well, in the event that some in the audience aren't, why don't you give a little background? I mean, it's like a it's a time travel movie. It's not all that important. It's a Terry Gilliam movie, right? Like I believe, uh, or something like that. It's like it's very kind of like silly and and a little bit like uh, high concept at times and and whatever. And it's kind of put together with a lot of pluck. I'm going to be totally wrong on that, by the way. But the main fact about Time Minutes that I want to bring up is that in the script, there's a there's a Centurion character who appears. Uh, it is a Terry Gilliam movie. It's written by Michael Palin and Terry Gilliam. There's a centurion that appears, and in the script of the movie it says, this centurion takes off his helmet, and he's Sean Connery or a cheaper alternative. Right? And, and then in the movie, they sort of were really surprised that they were actually able to get Sean Connery to do this campaign <laughs> in the movie. And, and, and this is like a vibe that I feel a lot with, with movie cameos and television cameos where it's like, there's the person you could get to do this cameo who would be the best person to do the cameo, or you can get like the cheaper alternative that's kind of pretending to be that person. And I feel like this was an Oscars where it's like, getting the actual person to the extreme. It's like, okay, we want to do a Bond tribute. Like, let's get the actual woman who actually sang Goldeneye, and let's have her kill Goldeneye on Goldfinger. Goldfinger. Oh, Goldfinger, sorry. The actual woman who sang Goldeneye was Tina Turner, I believe, right? Yeah. Uh, that's, that's different. Um, but yeah, who sang Goldfinger, have her kill the entire song on stage in front of everybody with, like, no real augmentation or changing at all, right? Which is, like, a, I felt staggeringly old-fashioned of them. Sure. Right. Like, let's like actually get Barbara Streisand. Right. Like, you know, I'm. I was. I mean, I was thinking about that, and I I really should see the floor to Mark too because I think he has some stuff to say about Shatner. But like, this is we've remarked before that the the Oscar telecast is a television show of a stage show about movies, and that like there there is a a, a genre fuster poop uh, going on you know, in the, right, just in the conception of it. And I think the emphasis on live performance tonight was something that, that I want to visit later on in our conversation. But Mark, what did you think of yeah. Captain Kirk uh, in his, in his cinematic, you know, not in the uh, gold V-neck of command, but in the cinematic, uh, you know, red uh, admiral's well, uniform. So just on that, on the costuming choice first, and I'll loop back to other things. Um, the, the gold V-neck would just look really bad on the sort of portly rotund body of William Shatner now. Uh, and that the, 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 the red movie from the Star Trek uh, original series movies uh, really suits his body type better, it's but also slimming. just... It, it, it just he wears a girdle under it like he did in Star Trek VI. <laughs> Um, and they they, just, they airbrushed his butt in that movie too, and it was a long time ago already. But it's a more refined uniform. It has a more air of dignity to it, which is more suiting uh, to the Oscars. Even though Shatner's presence was clearly, you know, an irreverent kind of fu to this whole uh, the the fuddy duddiness of the Oscars that would never let you know Captain Kirk uh, into its hollow chambers, right? Um, so, uh, back going from there into going then to Pete's comment about this being a bimodal show right being the one mode being seth MacFarlane, haha irreverent uh, making really envelope pushing jokes right and the, the other end of it being extremely old school the barbara streisand singing memories and the memoriam thing right making really envelope right. opening statements <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um the there's actually a third mode that was awkwardly in between there and we've seen this mode before um it's when the other presenters are up in the microphone doing the shtick very awkwardly and very poorly often just completely falling on their faces right paul rudd and Melissa mccarthy doing bad impressions bad like uh, bad voiceover for animation 
I'm not yeah, really I, sure I, what I, they were going yeah, for that with was... that. There was a lot of that. Um, we should talk of also about the weird thing with the Avengers coming up and maybe doing some shtick for visual effects. Yeah, what was or that? I thought that just they... having a really awkward moment referencing the protest going on outside of there. But all that that genre of banter writ large did not work. Well, and that's that weird uh, third mode of, With of the, the Oscar presentation. With the sole exception of Daniel Day-Lewis a bit, right? Oh, which wasn't a bit. It was just a speech, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, but it was also – oh, yeah, sure. He was in – he made jokes as part of an acceptance speech and not as a scripted bit as a presenter. Okay, yeah, point taken. But, um, you know, he was one of the non-comedians standing up there. He was one of the actors doing doing some patter, and it, it killed, at least yeah, in yeah, the yeah. bar I was sitting in. Oh, it was awesome, definitely. I mean, I think that, that Oscar humor, like Oscar presenter humor, um, suffers from, well, the, the, the actors are fatigued and they're under-rehearsed, right? And then often the material is rushed, and right? And so there's a lot of things that are wrong with it. But the, the Paul Rudd piece in particular and the Melissa McCarthy piece in particular, that was, I think, a problem with the material not playing to the top of intelligence, right? Like, that I was, was just about problem. to say that. I was just about to say yeah. that, like, that UCB bit, right? Like, don't, don't make the joke that you're bad at the thing that you're trying to do. Yes, yes. And there's a, there was a lot of that around, I mean, the tweeting around the Oscars, too, I think, and also just the Oscars in general. And it's, it's just not funny. Like, if they were actually, if they actually tried hard and happened to be bad at it because they've been at this thing for six hours already or whatever, because they had to show up on the red carpet, like, at noon or something crazy like that. I mean, obviously not, but whatever, whatever, they had to start getting ready for everything. If they try and they fail because it's under-rehearsed or because they're drunk, then that's kind of funny. But if they try to then be it's, bad, then it's the Golden they, Globes. Yeah, exactly. That's the, that's the Golden Globes. Good point. But if they try to to be bad at it, and then they're bad at being bad at it, then that's just unpleasant to watch and uncomfortable. Um, right, but because yeah. you feel like you you feel like your intelligence is being insulted and not well. Right, right, right. And I also feel like maybe this also ties into what Mark was sensing with all the whole visual effects scandal, where I, you know, we read on the show the list of demands from CBS for behavior on the red carpet. Oh, no, that was for the Grammys, for the right? Grammys, yeah, yeah. Grammys. And I suspect there's probably similar rules in effect that came into play here, where it's like we can't endorse a side of a labor dispute, or we can't, you know. Sure, talk there's. About I mean, the, the labor dispute is is the labor dispute is is what young. Uh, I mean, it's it's pro- probably there wasn't enough time to like draft a memo about it, but like this is you know the the attire for this is a lot more standardized than the uh, than the Grammy attire, so it would not be like you know what don't don't embroider. You know, don't like have, you know, your bespoke tailor, right, uh, embroider uh, a political cause into the back of your gown yeah, or something that's like true, that. That's that's, true. You know, it's it's less uh, it's less likely that like standards and practices is going to be um, up in arms about something that happens on the Oscars red carpet versus right. The Grammys red carpet where it's a little more of a free for all, but yeah. there, there is, yeah, that was, I mean, that was interesting. And that, that situation has to do with a, a visual effects house called rhythm and Hughes, uh, which has filed for bankruptcy and also late. It didn't pay a lot of its artists. And these are some of the people who worked on life of Pi and other movies and, uh, and then laid off, you know what 250 of them or something like that you know without without their pay um and it's i mean it's it's this huge it's this huge irony in the industry that visual effects and computer graphics are causing the budgets of films to balloon and yet largely because of the largely because these you know stateside houses are in competition with um uh, other houses elsewhere in the world where labor costs are low, you know, it, it's, it's hard out here for a rotoscoper and it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's difficult. So anyway, so yeah. So, so do we was, think, do, do we think that Avengers awkward moment was failed banter or like Robert Downey Jr. or one of the other Avengers trying to weave this in and someone else shutting him down? I thought they just went off the prompter for a second. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's tough to say. It seemed like a screw up. It didn't seem like a, something that was on purpose as a gag. Um, but yeah. it's hard to say. We'd have to look up so, online to find authorities talking about it. Let me let me step back for a moment and let's let's talk. Wait, about hold on, Pete. We're authorities. It's true. Online. 
<laughs> then let's say yes. <laughs> Robert yes, Downey Jr. is a communist and stands with the, you know, uh, visual effects artists of the world unite. You have nothing to lose but your Wacom tablets or something. I've never seen any proof from Robert Downey Jr. that he's not a communist. That's what we're saying. I hold in my hand a list of 1,500 confirmed communists in the Academy of... Read them all at a four-hour ceremony in front of everybody. (laughs) Aaron Aardvark. Arthur Aardvark. Oh, God. (laughs) Okay, here's my my big idea for this right now, sort of the big question that I have on hand, is that um, I feel like we are now approaching the Academy Awards each year was sort of with our knives out and salivating like, okay, like this, this like weird hulking beast of mediocrity is coming for us. And it's going to try real hard. And some things are going to be great, but it's going to be really awkward in all these ways. And it's going to be really easy to make fun of. And, Oh, we're just going to have a field day with it. That's how I feel like we've gotten with the Oscars. And my big question is, does it have to be that way? You know, has the Academy in some ways resigned themselves to this, level of mediocrity and uh just do these half-hearted things like you know have seth MacFarlane host in the effort to try to make it something that's not uh, just uh, this morass of mediocrity so that's one question and the other question is um is that an appropriate attitude for us the internet commentariat to take when when we when when approaching the academy awards like should we be striving for something different or are we just giving the academy awards uh, what they deserve no i i i think that just with respect to the internet commentariat i think that um one of the positive uh, effects of the culture of snark on the internet and you know the negative effects have been cataloged uh, extensively elsewhere, and I don't feel a need to rehearse them here. But one of the positive effects of this um, sort of culture is that it deflates sanctimony, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm I am absolutely against uh, sanctimony, and I think that that there is this still this sort of edge of sanctimony in the Oscars. I'm just trying to, yeah, I'm I'm just going to try to shoehorn the word sanctimony into this (laughs) sentence, uh, as many sanctimony more times as I sanctimony can. (laughs) And yeah, uh, you know, you know what I mean? And like that, that like to the extent that we can deflate some of those things, because I think that, that things can be, um, Pete and I had a professor in college who, uh, who used to make the point that funny versus serious is a false dichotomy, right? Many, many serious things are very funny. Uh, the real dichotomy is serious versus frivolous, right? And funny versus solemn. And when something is both frivolous and solemn, right? Uh, like much of the Academy Awards, it is, it is inessential and it takes itself very seriously. It is dirge-like, right, in its self-regard. Then, uh, then you are, you know, in the presence of sanctimony and, and it's time for, you know, it's time for Nikki Fink to take a couple of swipes at you, I guess. I mean, I, one thing I would dispute is I would not say that, um, I, would be, I would say be very, very careful uh, to start with an assumption about a thing because of the tone of the commentary directed at the thing, right? So everybody is sharpening their knives to go after the Academy Awards and take them down a peg. It doesn't matter. They're, they're going to make this decision to do this whether the Academy Awards is mediocre or not. And I would say this Academy Awards was not mediocre. I mean, it's an award show, so yeah, it's going to be frivolous, as Matt said, but there's no reason to believe going into it that it was going to be mediocre. It wasn't mediocre. It was fine. It was good, even. I mean, maybe you didn't love it, but I, I mean, it had good dance numbers and good musical numbers, and you know, the, it was exciting with certain awards that were winning. We should. The thing is, like, there are. I mean, I'm thinking about like the 50 Cent Army, right? I'm thinking about the institutions that exist now, where people are being paid in large numbers to systematically go out and create chatter of a particular propagandic sort, in accordance with everything that you read or everything that you see. If you go into, say, a newspaper with the attitude that the comments in the newspaper are going to shape for you what the articles mean. You're just going to be a you know a total schlub for whatever moneyed interest or powered government interest is going to tell you what to think. I mean, it's it's worse. It is worse to base your opinion on the commentariat than to base it on the trivial, drivel that the commentariat is going after. Uh, you have what you have to do is you have to see the interaction between the two, right? And so, wait, wait, can, can, Pete, when you said the Fifty Cent Army, 
Is that a general term or is that something specific for like an army of 50 cent fans that uh, uh, spread positive PR about 50 cent and then disparage other rappers? No, the 50 cent arm. Sorry, it should be called the 50 cent party or the 50 cent army. It's an organization that's run by the Chinese government that that, uh, is paid 50 cents, right, uh, for certain intervals to uh, to spread propaganda on Internet message boards and comment threads. Uh, okay. Um, yeah, I like so the it's, idea it's of there being. A, I like the idea of there being a fifty cent army, like like you know, there's a kiss army, except for yeah, but that's called G unit, Mark. G G G G G unit. Have we forgotten already? <laughs> have we already forgotten the game. Wait, the have we already forgotten the... Tony Ao? Tell us not that we have forgotten. No, 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 Tony no, no, no. Ao. The, the D unit was like the elite coterie of of rappers, right? Like you know the the the, the elite forces, and then uh, well, what I'm talking about is just like the rank and file enlisted fans right that would be what the kiss army is i gotcha so you would see like a division between the wu-tang killer bees and like the general shaolin nation yes (laughs) (laughs) now the word firmly on topic (laughs) the regular army yeah i i mean yeah i mean i i we don't need to go in detail into the various drawbacks of having a culture where people have this crazed incentive to say the meanest clever thing that they can come up with on a moment's notice um because you know whatever we don't have to go into it now we've gone into it before but uh, yeah i would say that like people are going to snark about it whether it's good or bad so you should try to come up with your own conclusion about what it is so let me, let me ask this question in a different way in that well first of all to say Pete, you said that you know the oscars wasn't you know you didn't think they were mediocre um that they had a lot of uh, good moments right and yeah. i think i will mostly agree with you um, but like when thinking about those awkward banter moments that I was talking about earlier, especially like, oh, God, let's for a moment, let's address Kristen Stewart coming out hobbling and stoned. Um, that's had, horrible TV. That's horrible TV, right? Is it um, really? <laughs> how many sh- how many television shows would love to have stoned Kristen Stewart walking around with her arm bruises? <laughs> okay, okay. okay. Not, not, not the best example, okay? I don't mean to be mean uh, to her. I, okay. I'm just laughing at us being terrible human beings. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing at the people who'd be like, actually, I mean, if I'm watching Pumpkin Chunkin', I might as well be watching this. But yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you. I'm glad we're taking our own sanctimoniousness down a peg. <laughs> Trying okay. a little. Bit. Well, here's what I'm going to argue: overthinking it is a high calling. Is a you know yeah. an extremely. But Kristen, Kristen Stewart stoned by herself isn't funny. Kristen Stewart stoned next to an uncomfortable Daniel Radcliffe is very funny. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay, here's the point I'm trying to make, or the question I'm trying to pose, uh, is that, uh, you know, the, the Academy Awards have these problems, which we've been talking about, um, we think they could be better, um, and yet I'm, I'm trying to, to step back and think of an example of live television, be it an award show or otherwise, um, that doesn't suffer from uh, either the same sort of problems or the same magnitude of problems that the Academy Award is. Like, if we're saying that the Academy Awards can and should be better, well, like, what is the other uh, benchmark or standard that we're holding the Academy Awards up to that it should strive to? I mean, that's a good question. What is the thing that's really? I mean, the, the I mean, the, the the immediate benchmark would be to look at the Grammys or something like that and say, oh, look at the cool performances that are on the Grammys, which I guess is what the Oscars did this year. Right, and they're like, okay, we're going to... Sort of, yeah, but it made it, it made it musical performances, you know what I mean? Like, it wouldn't be, wouldn't it be interesting if they did, like, if the actors acted out scenes from the movie live in front of you on stage? And <laughs> yes. it was, you know, and it was... Movie this- and it was this thing as to like whether they were actually going to be good in the one-off uh you know live format in front of the audience of a billion people worldwide that number's got to be inflated at this point i can't imagine that anyone gives a poop right there's just a whole bunch of tvs that are on in indonesia that are just playing to like one (laughs) (laughs) 50 cent army they open like yeah uh, 25 TV windows on every monitor, right? Um, that it's, it's live performance. And this is something that, that I had, that I had wanted to talk about, right? Like that the thing that was missing, I mean, it's funny, like the thing that makes movies movies is the role of the camera, right? The camera and editing, right? And, and that this is what sort of makes this a different art form from, uh, the stage art form, right? It, though they are both dramatic, uh, and deal with, with storytelling and the dramatic actions of a group of interesting characters, you know, over a period of, two hours and change right Right. so um but the thing that you need to do in this show about movies is to actually move away from that into live performance and into people actually doing things like 
singing and dancing really in front of you. And it's, you know, whereas the, the, whereas acting, I think, is haunted by this idea that it's just standing there and saying words and kind of being yourself, especially movie star acting, where the, the personality of the performer is really foregrounded. Um, and it's just them, you know, standing, uh, you know, as a digression to anyone who would say that, I would say, try filming yourself doing something, you know, just, just try putting a camera on you and your friends being yourselves, and it will be the most stilted, awkward, uh, difficult to watch, you know, 10 minutes of preparing an omelet in the morning that you've ever seen. But, uh, you know, I think that that movies are still acting generally is still haunted by this, this idea that like, there's no there, there, there's no work there. And by putting singing and dancing, you know, those are skills. Those are techniques. Those require, uh, not just talent, but, but training and, uh, expertise in order to, to do them. So you're sort of moving away from the moviness of movies in order to make this show interesting. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I will also. I will say, you're you're after you finish your cruddy video of yourself making eggs uh, in post production. Put bored Stone Kristen Stewart next to you while you're doing it, and it'll be hilarious. <laughs> um, but but I will. I was I was just thinking while you were talking about that. Like, wouldn't it be cool if? I mean, Samsung was trying, you know, was trying real hard to market. Sprint was trying real hard to market during the show. Hand uh, like a hundred people. Samsung phones with video technology on it and like set up a hundred YouTube channels, right? Where like what's being filmed on these phones is being put up live and have the Oscars not necessarily in a theater, right? But have like a stage, but have it sort of be like an old timey circus where there's multiple sideshows and other things that are happening and people can move around and have people sort of constantly filming it, right? And then you can have like a celebration of a video, right, or a film. But I think, of course, this would cheapen the distinction that makes the movies the movies, right? There's an important – they have to continue to, to justify the kind of higher cost basis uh, and more constructedness of it. They don't want to put stuff like that on YouTube. But like a, a festival or true awards show of everything awesome happening in movies full of performances, you could slice that up and do that live. You know, There are ways to do it technologically, but it would be, it would be a feat. Um, politically, I think, and economically. We can do it. We have the technology. Right. And this is the thing that you were referencing that is like, they're trying to thread a particular needle, you know. Um, I know Pete and I have both worked in nonprofit theater and have dealt with conversations about audience development, which is essentially how can we get younger people who aren't coming to see our crap uh, come to see our crap? Um, And the, the answer is usually like something insipid and terrible like you know what we're gonna have a a night where everyone's allowed to keep their cell phones on and live tweet the whole theatrical (laughs) show (laughs) which is awful i mean that like it there should be an award for missing the point there should be an oscar for missing the point and that way you know that would get it ironically because it's theaters making the mistake um the only by the way the only one that actually works is having children have really intense experiences with your art form or like young people (laughs) Right, like it doesn't. It, it does. You can't turn it. You can't turn it over once they're like seventeen. It's yeah, just sure. Once they're yeah, exactly. Right. That's why you know. That's why those field trips are so uh, are so important. Or doing something that that people actually care to come see. Right. The thing oh, that yeah. never. The thing that never comes up in those conversations is, hey, maybe we, you know, aging baby boomers who occupy all the decision making jobs in this, you know, nonprofit League of Resident Theaters venue, right? Like perhaps we should cede our jobs to the next generation of artists so that they can make work relevant to that to that generation. It's it's always how can they come how can we make them want to come see our crap and not let's do different crap that they actually want to see. And I think that the Oscars was I mean the point of this long uh digression is that I think the Oscars was suffering from that uh tonight and is 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 kind of in this like growing pains state where the the you know the the advent of different technological options for watching movies including I mean I don't know if you noticed but it was jarring for me when in a couple of the documentaries the uh the footage that was shown was clearly video footage and not you know, filmed fit footage that was captured on actual film stock by film cameras. It was done digitally 
by video cameras and and there's just a different look to it and it was a little you know it was a little jarring um the uh the light is harsher the motion looks a little bit different that you know that kind of thing and it gives it gives an impression of cheapness uh which is not necessarily fair to the uh you know to the production that you're looking at um because of our associations with video and and because of a lot of the ways that film you know the the film industry has gone after video to make it seem um you know i don't know less elevated uh somehow so we're in this we're in this sort of growing pain state where it's there are so many changes in in the industry and and uh you get the the bimodal distribution of uh you get the bimodal distribution of you know i don't know oscar moods on the one hand you know extremely backward looking and sort of sanctimonious and and all, sort of desperate in the sense that it it wants to recapture a glory that's perceived to be lost um or or rather to insist that the glory wasn't lost at all and and then this kind of like zaniness this kind of other desperation going after um going after what a a younger audience right a new audience uh an audience that's sort of coming of age now and doesn't necessarily have all the same cultural reference that have you know cultural reference that are video games and that are mtv and that are you know all these other things mtv really (laughs) mtv that's the touchstone like for what's i'm sorry because i don't think of mtv as relevant anymore right no it wasn't but when i was i don't know when i was 12 13 14 i remember like you know they were i lived in santa monica california they were filming mtv spring break not 20 blocks from my house and instead i lay on the floor and watched mtv spring break on the television (laughs) you know like yeah yeah it is probably, well, I mean, uh, you know, MTV still pushing the envelope in terms of uh, the reality program that's putting out there, right? Like Jersey Shore yeah. and um, like, like Teen Mom, a Teen, something like that. Uh, like uh, those shows are still, like, you know, they 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 brutally insert themselves into I didn't the mean, uh, the pop culture zeitgeist. Right? I didn't mean to to derail us entirely by bringing up MTV. My point my point was more that there is this uh, there is this diversity of of cultural reference without movies holding the place within it uh, that it did. And you know, movies I still think can hold a p- place, right? Like Avengers made a billion dollars, Avatar made a zillion dollars uh last year. Like there is, you know, there is still this sense of like cinematic scale and of like event and moment and of specialness um but you can't you know you can't do it by pretending like the studio system is still in place and the stars are like inaccessible and uh you know inaccessible and kind of dreamy like Cary Grant no you don't and they don't I mean celebrity has changed so much and it's not like there's no one on the till of the ship I mean I agree with everything you're saying but I don't agree with the tone that you're saying it because I don't think that it's failing Right. I mean, I think that it is problematic, but I mean, I think like when Jennifer Lawrence is coming up the stairs and falls down, I think there's elements of all the things that we've talked about. Like there's elements of, of what people want to see on MTV, right? And that, right? Like, and I think that, yeah, they're, you're being pulled apart by these things. And it's how do I put on a show? Uh, how do I put on a show for the older people, for the younger people? How do I revel in the shows that have already happened? How do I put on new shows? I mean, I think having Charlize Theron and Tanning Chatham do like a dance number is actually kind of more of a big deal than we're letting on, right? Like, which is that in another Oscar ceremony, that wouldn't have been actual big sexy movie stars that were doing that. Right. Those would have been the background dancers yeah. who were fa- nameless and sort of faceless and not just jobbed yeah. in for the, for the thing. I mean, I feel like having Joseph Gordon-Levitt do a soft shoe number is a pretty big step in the direction of making something relevant to younger people. Maybe because people on this podcast aren't as sexually attracted to Joseph Gordon-Levitt as, you know, half the population happens to be. Uh, we don't see that, but I, I mean, I feel like that or, might be Or Channing Tatum. Or Channing Tatum. Well, exactly. Like, those little subtle things were happening. I think one of the things that I liked about this show is that it had showmanship. Uh, and it was putting on a show. And I mean, that's why Chicago was all over the place, because it was the Chicago producers who were doing it. Um, 
but we should talk about the actual awards. Like we should talk about well, who won. Right? Like, we should talk about, like, it, I mean, it's interesting that 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 is not what we go to immediately, right? Like, that's that, only because it's not what we started with, Matt. Because we could talk about any of these topics for like an hour and a half. We or did four hours. We, we did get an hour ten out of the Harlem Shake last <laughs> week. <laughs> Stokes thought we couldn't do it. A brilliant hour ten, I might add, as someone yeah. who listened to it and wasn't actually on the panel. That was um, that was a great show. But thank you, sorry. very much. Uh, all right. Well, Ben Affleck was wrong. Right? No, I don't think so. I mean, <laughs> he was robbed. He was, he totally should have won Best Actress. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that was a triumphant th- moment for Ben Affleck. That was a very unexpected to me triumphant moment for Ben Affleck. And the whole thing with Michelle Obama introducing it as well. Like, could could there be a more glorious like uh, apotheosis for Ben Affleck that is even possible than like the first lady g- giving him Best Picture after he was denied the Best Director after he suffered from the fall of not being nominated for the best director oscar uh as he said in his uh his speech there uh, i mean would, would you guys, i mean the other thing i'd say about him is how awesome was him in his acceptance speech kind of like slipping up and accidentally acknowledging the difficulties in his marriage uh, like did you guys did you guys not love that yeah, i thought that was, was so sincere he was i thought he was sincere i mean i thought that like the moments of humanity were the ones that really in the uh in the winners were the ones that really affected me. Like, um, you know, Jennifer Lawrence saying, you're just standing up because I fell down and it's really embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, I'm not saying that Ben Affleck doesn't, isn't actually proud of the fact that Jennifer Garner has worked really hard to hold their marriage together (laughs) despite his various screw ups. And I think when he said it, he really meant it. But I think it's like that we live in such a culture of self-correction. And of other correction, where it's like, oh, no, you have to say the correct thing in this. I felt like a lot of the acceptance speeches were like that, where people had to say the correct things, and thus not a lot was actually said in the acceptance Sure, a lot of shout-outs yeah. to, like, CAA. I, yeah, it was yeah. pointed out by one industry person that I follow online, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. there there were – and, like, Harvey Weinstein is, is someone who usually comes in for a lot of, uh, a lot of kudos um, – you know, as the how about, how about Anne Hathaway giving shout outs to poor people in France <laughs> in the 19th century? Yeah, geez. Yeah, that was that was a bold stand on her part to try to make sure that there are no more pre- French prostitutes selling their teeth and hair to support their <laughs> children. I mean, we laugh, but that is happening in a number of places in the world, probably also in France, <laughs> although perhaps the teeth trade isn't what it used to be. But um, yeah, geez, it's uh, it, it, she was, if anything, too optimistic in suggesting that it would ever really stop, you know, like human suffering, right? Like, I mean, jeez, I mean, Pete, that's dark. What? <laughs> I mean, why do you are, think? Are like, you saying that, that she's dreaming a dream <laughs> that this sort of human suffering will stop? And but I mean, the tigers I, will come at night. <laughs> the tigers in the boats. But we Richard, have a Richard Parker will come at night. Tiger Navy is is astern and is loading their tiger cannons. Um, Jeez, is that multiple, too much? Multiple uh, replays of that shot of all the animals underwater, Mm-mm-mm. which is just upsetting to me, right? <laughs> Some of it is so upsetting. I don't like you're to talking, think you're of talking it. about Life of Pi. You mean? I don't like to think of animals drowning. You know, that's you know, that's not what I want in my entertainment. Jeez, I didn't want to watch Amour for that reason. <laughs> People, can we talk about Ang Lee and Life of Pi for a moment? Yeah, sure, of course. Um, it seemed to be a little bit of a surprise. Um, uh, I, as a lot of other people on Twitter did, just revolted, re, re, revolted, reverted back to references to uh, his Hulk movie. Yes, true that, that it is his most important film because it's the one everyone always thinks of. No one was talking about Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. No, there <laughs> no one was talking about the Ice Storm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, just a quick side note um, to tie this back into uh, where I was uh, the last two podcasts, the reason why I wasn't on the last two podcasts. I was in Taiwan. Um, Ang Lee is kind of like a really big deal in Taiwan. He gave a huge shout out to the uh, Taiwanese government uh, for supporting his work as well. Um, it's... Uh, I, I, I don't think I have much else to say, but to tie it back into my my recent travels, uh, maybe also also to, to say that um, it's a good thing, right? That um, that he's getting that sort of support, and uh, he's uh, you know, I guess a, a symbol of a cultural output of uh, a particular nation. 
Oh, yeah, it's good that Taiwan has like a major cultural and artistic celebrity because they're kind of underrepresented in the general discourse because of the 50 Cent Army's presence everywhere in the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's yeah. go with that. Yes, thank you, Pete, for saying that much more eloquently than I could. Yeah, I mean, I, I shouldn't overemphasize the importance of paid online contributors to, you know, <laughs> the various, like, you know, normal and extra normal arms of government propaganda because it's all sorts, it takes all kinds. But yeah, no, I mean, it's kind of cool. I mean, we, we saw, it is, it is cool to see uh, in the ascendancy of the emerging world uh, to remember that it is not one world but many worlds, right? And that there are individual places and individual peoples and cultures that also want to have their champions. It's sort of like a Joe DiMaggio moment, where it's like, yeah, if you're you know, an Italian baseball fan, Joe DiMaggio is a really big deal. And for everybody else, he's kind of a big deal, right? Like, and so for, you know, if you're Taiwanese, Ang Lee is like a really big deal. And if you're Korean, like Mark is, then Sai is a really big deal and is really important. <laughs> Um, or Kim Jong-un also being really important. <laughs> or both of them together doing uh, the Harlem Shake video that they did together. Were there, the- were there upsets? <laughs> I mean, do you feel like, do you feel like there were I, – I can think of were one. Upsets? Were there upsets? Did you see the part where Ben Affleck was in front of everyone? I guess that wasn't really an upset. No, everyone was, ex- everyone was expecting that. And actually, like, not getting nominated for directors seemed to kind of play into it because there is this kind of, like, Academy loves an underdog narrative that everyone collectively kind of co-creates every year um, mm-hmm. and, by like, makes it true. Everyone, like, you know, who talks about it and then who, like, votes on it, you know, makes it true. Um, so, uh, that may have, that may have helped her because it helped him, <laughs> uh, because, uh, you know, he had a sort of a grievance, right. That he could sort of nurse by not mentioning it, you know, and going on and winning at the lesser award shows. And that, you know, I don't know. It, it was, I mean, he was the odds on favorite for Argo, him, uh, Clooney and Grant Heslov, right. Coming in for, uh, uh, for Argo, but um, I'm I'm thinking of uh, animated feature. Oh, Brave! Yeah. yeah, right. Weren't there better cartoon movies this year? Um, you uh, mean like Wreck It Ralph? Or? <laughs> well, yeah, like Wreck It Ralph. And someone on uh, someone uh, replied to us on our Twitter about um, uh, Paranorman. Yeah. Oh, was Paranorman I, really good? Apparently, that's on the street. Oh, oh okay. I saw I saw Brave and Wreck It Ralph. Uh, and uh, while uh, Wreck-It Ralph is by no means as good as the best Pixar movies, it was certainly better than Brave. Within Brave, uh, on its own, regardless of whether you compare it to other Pixar movies or not, was not that great of a movie. Pretty disappointing. Yeah, I feel like it wins on momentum, right, and like name recognition more than anything else. I mean, I wasn't shocked when it won, but I, I knew from people telling me about it that it was very possible that it might lose. Um, and then, in fact, like maybe one of the reasons it might uh, it might win was that people didn't generally see Frankenweenie, you know, like they didn't like those movies. I didn't see Paranorman, I didn't see Frankenweenie, I didn't even see Wreck It Ralph, and I was part of the target demographic to watch it. Like guys in their thirties yeah. who played. You really should see it, Pete. It's, it's yeah, yeah. Enjoy a lot. It was an accident to not see it. It was I, I just missed it. I'll, I'll catch it at some point. Um, but yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's it's like it was surprising that it did that it won, and I and I feel like. Um, you know, when Pixar was doing really well, and uh, you know, when Pixar, the, the, the ancient days when Pixar was doing well, when Pixar was killing it year in and year out for all that time, one of the things that was refreshing about it was that it, it was earning it, right? And like it was winning these awards and it was earning it. And there is that kind of moment sometimes when the, when the dynasty keeps going, but you feel like they sort of stop earning it, like around Arnold's like sixth Mr. Olympia or whatever, and you're just like, oh, come on. <laughs> Like, really? Like, is the, really you haven't seen anything better than this guy in all this time? I mean, yeah, he's good, but, like, come on. Or just, like, you know, being a Patriots fan these days, where it's, like, you're just sort of like, <laughs> okay. You know, and not that I'm a Patriots fan in particular, but I live amongst a lot of them, and, and it's sort of like uh, you, 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 you lose momentum slowly in terms of how the legitimacy of the thing that you're rooting for. And I think we're kind of at a part where Pixar, Pixar has a bit of a crisis on its hands of legitimacy, which probably won't filter through to real re- results for a little while, but... Still kind of problematic. I don't know. Let's let's talk about another winner. Um, Quentin Tarantino for Django Unchained. For, uh, yes. for, for, for original screenplay. screenplay. Yeah. 
Um, I, Pete, I think well, you tweeted that uh, that Quentin Tarantino was like more comfortable in front of an audience on that stage than a lot of the actors and actresses. That oh, yeah, totally. Like he was when he was giving his acceptance speech, he seemed to actually be talking on camera like a professional person who like a professional person who transcends saying the words he's supposed to say and is an entertainer and somebody who people would like to watch on television using their spare time. Bob Hope. Right? Yeah, 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 exactly. And someone, someone tweeted, uh, a friend of mine tweeted that this was because he's irre- irreverent and cocky and that this is what does it for him. And I, I, would, um, I would approach it from a different direction and say that it's because he doesn't really answer to anyone in particular. Right, like, like if Quentin Tarantino forgets to thank someone, there's a limit to the amount of trouble that Quentin Tarantino is going to get into for doing that, right? Just because of his position and his political position, I would wager, right, in Hollywood, is that you know no one's going to be like, oh man, I'm not making that Quentin Tarantino movie I was going to make because he forgot to thank me at the Oscars. He doesn't have to. I mean, yes, he still has to go and thank the Academy and do all that, but he's not as worried about it as everybody else is, probably. Because um, he's his own sort of yeah. shop, he can sort of take it where he wants to go. Like it's sort of the same way Tyler Perry feels about all the jokes all of you guys listening to this podcast make about him all the time. Like he doesn't care; he can go do his thing wherever <laughs> he wants to, and it's very successful. Um, whereas a lot of the actors, they have to list their litany of people, or like the mostly the technicians and stuff, and the makeup artists and the costume artists and everybody who works with these large groups. They work for these companies; they have to mention everybody. But Quentin Tarantino didn't have to. Yep. In my imagination, I'm going to keep believing that this podcast keeps Tyler Perry awake at night. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, everyone thinks my jo- my movies, despite uh, the fact that not, they're not that's actually not true. at all. <laughs> that's actually not true. Like, uh, to the extent that I can remember us talking about Tyler Perry on this podcast, we were pretty respectful of him, right? Sure, we make some uh, uh, we make some jokes at the expense of the recurring Medea character and things like that, but yeah, no, I, I think should, we're, we're pretty pro-Tyler Perry. And readers are also pretty respectful. I should just speak to the, like, the social the social media coyote squad that's, like, roving about the desert, like, <laughs> licking at carry-on, right? Like, uh, and if, if coyotes are not scavengers, as I remember, uh, I apologize. Okay, so let's talk about the other thing. With <laughs> let's talk about the other thing related to Quentin Tarantino's Oscar win. The incredibly surreal sound of the uh, terrorist theme from Gone with the Wind playing as he was exiting the stage. <laughs> that was nuts. That was totally right. nuts. <laughs> uh, I, again, Pete, this might have been you, or this might have been someone else. I made a mark out, I think, on Twitter. So that, that was either an incredible moment of stupidity or like an incredibly dark joke that someone was was making. Yeah, jeez, Louise. I mean, maybe they thought it was poetic, but yeah, I mean, it's because it's the movie about it's the best movie about the slavers, and then the best movie this year about the killing of all the slavers. So- the, the the in and out music that was playing by the orchestra, which which by the way was oddly like you know put in their little ghetto uh, in, in, a, in a room outside you know where, uh, in an, across the street where they couldn't actually see the uh, the show going on. Um, the in and out music coming in, there were a lot of interesting choices, um, but in just uh, from the perspective of oh I like these um, these music scores from from movies like Jurassic Park and uh, uh, Neil Morcone's uh, Cinema Paradiso. And the list goes on and on. Um, and most of the time, it actually seemed really disconnected from the war that was being given out. Like the Forrest Gump thing came on over and over again. I don't think anybody was trying to say that um, the person receiving the award was a mentally challenged but gold-hearted uh, simpleton. Uh, <laughs> but then this comes along, right? And it was like, whoa, what the heck? Yeah. Yeah, geez, I, I, I mean, don't really know what to make of it. Like, it could just be like, you know, like you know, like the director was like, okay, this is the next up in our uh, in our list of things to play. Let's play Gone with the Wind. I think that's l- the likeliest thing, um, but it it still doesn't take away from the shock of hearing it. Yeah, I mean, the the only thing I would come up with is I liked how they played the Jaws theme right when people were talking too long. <laughs> Which was awesome because there's that trope in the old Academy Awards where they play this really cloying music that's kind of sickening, right? Where it's like they're trying to be friendly. It almost feels like they're being nice, but they're saying, you really have to go. Like, you really have to leave. <laughs> but, but it's like, look how beautiful we're making our, our claim that you have to go. And it's just, it's just really kind of hateful. And it's like, I like the idea that the orchestra is actively hostile to what's happening on stage. <laughs> and it's like, the orchestra is fighting you. And, and, and it's like, is coming you know, after you like a implacable predator in what the orchestra is coming after you like an implacable predator in the sea. Exactly, exactly. Or like a tiger in a boat. <laughs> <laughs> 
and then yeah, and it's like yeah, they'll totally play Gone with the Wind to, to play off Quentin Tarantino because they're ending his time. His time is over, and now we're gonna play, and we're gonna <laughs> prove our power, our raw power. There were I tweeted this on uh, as we were live tweeting, but it it seemed to me that that theme from Cinema Paradiso sounded like Don't Speak, uh, and and the the beginning of Skyfall reminds me of the beginning of of uh, Gangsters Paradise. Mm. You know that. Yeah, they were they were written both written by Stevie Wonder, right? <laughs> uh, so we asked we asked for tweets. We've actually talked about a lot of the things that people uh, tweeted. Um, we'll get to as many as we can, uh, but I'm just going to say thanks in advance to the people who tweeted us. Paul at Paul B D at hello underscore Jed at oh I'm not even going to attempt this. Well here I go. Grime Rayestrup. Uh, at Arcadia 18, at Arden Sedlins, uh, at, at, at Chris X Morgan. Um, those are the people who tweeted us, and we thank you, and we're going to get to as many of these as we can. Now, um, uh, Skid, talked about that, talked about that, talked about that. Oh, that's nice. Um, Oh, we talked about Terrace theme. Oh, so um, Arden Sedlins sent us a... Uh, an article with a quote, uh, quotation from Louis B. Mayer, uh, in, in it, the, the, uh, title of the article is the Oscars are not as important as you think, to which my answer is, you don't know how important I think the Oscars are. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yes. So, uh, the origin of the Oscars, right, uh, according to Louis B. Mayer, I found that the best way to handle filmmakers was to hang medals all over them. If I gave them cups and awards, they'd all kill themselves to produce what I wanted. That's why the Academy Awards was created. Uh, <laughs> Which is awesome, because that's exactly what it does. <laughs> said Louis B. Mayer. Sure. I mean, that's what he says. Uh, I mean, that's, the, that's a very, like, studio mogul-centric thing. And we don't, have the, we don't have the studio system like that anymore. And so I think the sort of ongoing meaning, I think it might be, uh, it might be a misfire to go back to Louis B. Mayer to try and figure out the meaning of the present Academy Awards. Because, you know, as, as we've said um, tonight, it, it is this kind of transition time for the medium and for the... Uh, for the award show. And it's, you know, the idea of like sort of placating, um, someone, I, I mean, I have two thoughts about that. One, it seems like everyone is so anxious to placate themselves, right? Like, and, and this, this sense that, that Pete and I talked about a little bit in our Instagram show, uh, you know, half dozen, dozen shows back, um, of like doing PR, everyone's sort of constantly doing PR for themselves. And the way we put it tonight is avoiding slip ups, right? That seems to make, um, that seems to, to make people sort of, uh, get on board with placating themselves without needing like strong authority figures to, to do it. Everyone sort of internalized the authority for some reason. Rise up is what I'm saying. Rise up against your, you know, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> sorry, man. We got to play you off before you say anything subversive that our network is going to yeah. air. So, there is a protest on Hollywood and Vine where visual effects artists, Pete, what do you think of, uh, Peter Mark? What do you think of, of, um, Louis B. Mayer. Louis B. Mayer, like yeah. from Metro Goldwyn Mayer. Yes, yeah. I he's, mean, I, he's the guy who company, said that. Yeah, well, his company is very lucky. James Bond exists, right? Like because <laughs> it's the big MGM franchise. Um, I, I mean, MGM I like. I actually I've, like went bankrupt recently. By the way, just uh, yeah, as yeah. an interesting side note in movie history. Yeah. I mean, I think it. I think it works. I think that it, there's the idea that an award, sh- that an authoritative award show needs to have some sort of first principle that it declares that it's the legitimate award show, and all other award shows are illegitimate. Is kind of misguided. And I like the idea that it's just the one that happens to hang, happen to start hanging the awards around necks or giving them to people at the right place at the right time. That it it's presumed a certain authority. And I, I'm not particularly troubled by the um, the sort of. Uh, Enlightenment style rationale, you know, the the rationality of that authority. Um, I I think the legitimacy of the Academy Awards is well demonstrated by how everybody watches it, and by the red carpet and all of the rituals that are around it. It seems to have grown up kind of organically, and I like that. 
I'm excited by it. I mean, it's it, to me the the movie business is also kind of like I like to think of it as the towering inferno business. Right, because when the movies were threatened by television, they came up with the idea of the tentpole blockbuster, and that was what saved them. Uh, right, and the Towering Inferno is the movie I always point or I always think of as the sort of um, history book touchstone for for what movie did that. And so, what the Academy Awards, and so the big difference between the movies and TV and the movies and and all the other things is the way in which they execute these these big events. And and movies are something that people care about, even if they, I mean, they still make a lot of money, but, you know, even if fewer people see them and they just pay more for tickets, they're still a huge part of our culture, and it's because they have a way that is not rational of making themselves important uh, through ritual and through performance, through showmanship, which is their job. It's art. I mean, you know, it's, it's a pra- practical art, but it's an art all, all the same. Uh, just a quick comment on this, and we can try to move on to other things. I mean, this idea that, like, you know, that Louis Mayer... Um, was you know, crafted this thing to get movies, the type of movies that he, he in particular wanted. I mean, that's obviously a hugely egotistical thing to say. You know, it somehow thinks that like, were it not for him, we wouldn't have these grand uh, prestige pictures that we have today. Like, you know, I was the curator of this particular style uh, of, of movie and this grand influence on cinema because of these awards that make people dance uh, like my little performing monkeys. Um, that's that is a stretch for sure, and uh, and, and I'm not going to willing to read that much into it. This is a tweet from uh, the name that I can't pronounce. Grim A. Strup. Strup. Uh, did McFarlane's lazy routine and musical numbers act as verfemdunk? Uh, <laughs> alienation or distancing, thus making the Oscars a subversive statement on Glomore. I think I think that's a typo for glamour, but I would like to imagine what Glomore is with an extra A in it. Or is extra, it like oh. the costumes to Brigadoon? <laughs> uh, I I don't think his numbers were bad. I mean, they're they're not Neil Patrick Harris singing "Put Down That Remote" at the Emmys. That was transcendent. But uh, you know, I don't know. The the soft shoe was was pretty good, and he's not a bad singer. Yeah, I think that there was alienation effect. The whole structure of. We are going to, as the show starts, do a piece about how in the future people are going to say that the show was bad is like very much like a sort of Brechtian kind of thing, right? right? Like really showing you the strings, right? Like and and pointing out how this thing that is familiar is also kind of weird, Um, this cycle of – I think it was actually kind of smart, this idea that people were already ready to say that Seth MacFarlane was bad before he even started. And it was already part of – it was already part of the Oscars that he was bad before he said a word. You know, and that's that's what they're acknowledging by putting that piece into it. So in that case, it is Verfremdung's effect, and I don't think that it's. I don't think he's making fun of glamour. I, mean, I think you you were right before Matt when you were saying he that it is taking some of the gas out of sanctimony, um, and I think that they were doing that a little bit to themselves. They were not even pretending that they had some sort of unapproachable excellence. But um, but yeah, I, just, I mean, there's I just something. Wanna, but, uh, I just want to point out one uh, interesting component of. Uh, that uh, you know the, the the articles from the future and how they keep changing to being slightly more slightly less negative about Seth MacFarlane. I think I, I could be wrong, but I think the comment count for the articles decreased right as the negativity decreased. Right, I'm not making that up. No, that that did. I, <laughs> I, very interesting detail. Yeah, I picked up on that too. That was a nice <laughs> that was a nice little detail uh, at Dromedary. Overthinking it. Jennifer Lawrence as Eve. The fall of one woman as the fall of all mankind. Hell is other televised people. Original broadcast sin. <laughs> I think we could. I, that stands on its own without comment from us. But was that I, a haiku? I don't think it was a haiku, but it might have been. <laughs> we're looking into Wayne's basement, but it's not Wayne's basement. Dromedary also goes on to say, P.S. Were there any good movies last year? Yeah, Avengers is pretty good. Lots and lots of good there movies. Of- <laughs> yeah, even, I, I'm yeah, not sure even- if Brian Dromedary is being serious with this or not, but yeah, yeah plenty. Some things I was astounded by a lot of the entertaining experiences that I had in the movies. I will say that one of the best experiences I had in the movies, one of the, the best movies of last year that I saw, which was not represented in tonight's award show, was Looper. Uh, got no love from the Academy, and I think that's a shame. Yeah, it is a shame because that was a yeah, that was awesome. But even among the Academy movies, there were some real. I mean, I think there were some real winners as 
uh, pieces of art and entertainment and art slash entertainment, right? Like Moonrise Kingdom is one I would look at was like, I had a great time in that, uh, watching that movie. And, and also, you know, it really makes you think. <laughs> that uh, does <laughs> you know if you're in the mood to be depressed amour is you know mm-hmm. I, I, it's probably less uh it will make you want to kill yourself less than funny games did less I mean, than but maybe maybe slightly more than the gray which also came out last year and is also an excellent movie that made me hate my life uh, <laughs> just because i couldn't sleep for like a week after i saw it it doesn't matter if you can sleep yeah <laughs> oh man and yeah, uh, we've got all sorts of fun stuff. There was an Underworld movie, Underworld Awakening, which came back in sale. <laughs> that came out last year. Phantom Menace 3D. Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance, one of the best movies of the year. <laughs> um, one of the movies I enjoyed watching the most last year. That was pretty great. 21 Jump Street's a solid movie. I hear Jiro Dreams of Sushi is good. I'm like looking through a list of, of release dates of all the movies that came out last year. Um, and just like listing them. Wrath of the Titans is not good. I saw that one on Silver Linings Playbook is worth it. Is worth it. I didn't like it as much as some other people did. I thought the first half was great. And actually, did you notice that all the clips they showed from it were from the first half? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it it is a characteristic of sentimental melodrama that it it requires a certain personal identification to have its full effect, right? Like, you have to like it already. Like, you have to like the topic that it's about, I think. Um, to an extent, like you have to be okay with dance competitions. It's not, <laughs> uh, dance competitions are a great way to end a movie. Um, Battleship came out last year. <laughs> yeah. That was awesome. <laughs> now you're just <laughs> strengthening my case. <laughs> I was, it was, and I was really hoping that when Seth MacFarlane said when they came back from the commercial, the people who made Prometheus were going to explain what was happening in Prometheus. Was anyone else really hoping that was actually going to happen? Because I felt like <laughs> oh, it would have been awesome. <laughs> I missed that. He really did. Hey, it's like, when we're That's back, good. the people from Prometheus will be here to tell us whatever was happening in Prometheus. Oh, I heard a good. lot of people say nice things about Magic Mike. They really liked it. Oh, yeah. I, I watched it Magic was, Mike. It was very entertaining. It, yeah. And also, like, a lot artsier than you. It belongs to the Steven Soderbergh uh, artsy. The, you know, it does not belong to the uh, Ocean's Eleven side of the Steven Soderbergh oeuvre. It belongs to the, you know, the girlfriend experience. Uh um, haywire side of the Steven Soderbergh oeuvre. Yeah. Expendables 2 was really funny. Campaign was really funny, if you guys saw that one, with Will Ferrell and Zach Galifianakis. So, I guess at Dromedary, what we're saying is, hell yes, there were there was a lot of good <laughs> movies last year. Um, that's I, I think uh, these other tweets, I think we've addressed a lot of the, these concerns uh, elsewhere on the podcast, and it is getting really really late for you guys uh over on the east coast so um why don't we wrap it up there uh but this is not the end in fact it's a beginning um the commentariat can now have at us have at us with your long knives and you know (laughs) just remember don't judge the podcast by what's in the comment no in our case it's a very good idea judge the uh, podcast by what's in the comments because we want everyone to get involved in the discussion in the comments on the show notes you can also email podcast at overthinking.com and uh call or text 203-285-6401 this has been your annual oscar podcast the overthinking podcast will be back next week uh to overthink something else but until then you can visit us on the internet at www.overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it It probably probably doesn't doesn't deserve. deserve